you looking to reach your full potential and achieve success in business and in life? Want only tried and tested guidance from people who have truly made an impact? You have come to the right place. Welcome to Five Questions with Dan Shabell. New York Times bestselling author Dan Shabell distills the most actionable and tangible advice from a variety of world-class humans, including entrepreneurs, authors, Olympians, politicians, billionaires, Nobel Prize winners, TED speakers, celebrities, astronauts, and more. Inspirational guidance, practical advice, and concrete solutions. Our Power Chat starts now. Welcome to the 72nd episode of the 5 Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Bell, and my goal is to curate the best advice from the world's smartest and most interesting people by asking them just five questions. My guest today is leadership consultant and best-selling author Patrick Lencioni. Born in Bakersfield, California, Patrick was a management consultant at Bain, Oracle, and Sybase before launching The Table Group a firm focused on executive team development and organizational health. He is best known as the author of the multi-million copy best-selling book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and has followed up with a series of other books, including his latest, entitled The Motive. Patrick is new to the podcast world with his show, At the Table. I first discovered Patrick's work back in 2009 and have since interviewed him several times. He's one of the most respected figures in my industry, an incredible communicator, and his team has a long tenure, which speaks volumes to his leadership ability. He's also represented by my literary agent and hero, Jim Levine. In this podcast interview, we learn about Patrick's own leadership style and what really drives team performance. Why did you originally choose to be a leader and what experiences helped shape the leader you are today? Well, I, I suppose I was a leader when I was a kid in, a, in, a, in school and things like that. I probably chose to be a leader then for very different reasons that I do today. I think when you're a kid, you do it because people think you should and you think it might be cool, which is the wrong reason, which is actually what my, my latest book is about. The reason why I became a leader when I got older is because there was something I wanted to do. There was something I wanted to see accomplished. And that's the better reason to be a leader is because you actually have a goal and you want to rally people around that. And and in some way, large or small, you want to change the world. And so when we started my company, it was because we wanted to change the world of work. And so that's why I stepped out there and said, "I, I want to do this. What pitfalls do leaders make that hurt their team when their intent was to help? You know, I think that too many leaders don't manage their people anymore. And I know that sounds very unsexy and very straightforward, but somehow along the line, this idea of micromanagement became so offensive to people and everyone started using it incorrectly. Like don't micromanage me, which essentially means I'm not doing a good job and I don't want to be managed. And yet there was something about that accusation that put managers and leaders on their heels. And I think way too many leaders today and managers think they're doing a good job because they They don't really know what their people are doing, but they say they trust them. They say, I don't want to micromanage them. And in fact, they're making it much more likely that that person is going to struggle and fail and that they're going to have a lot messier situation on their hands. I think it's time that leaders re-embraced management. And when somebody says, don't micromanage me, I think we have to really ask ourselves, am I really over-managing them? I find that nine out of 10 managers are under-managing their people these days because they don't know what they're working on. They're not providing them with timely coaching. And it's all because they don't want to be misperceived as overbearing. And I think it's led to a culture where most people aren't getting near enough direction, attention, and coaching. 
You've written 12 books on how leaders build effective teams. If you go to any Hudson News in any airport, you're going to see a stack of them. Uh, what behaviors are most important for forming, engaging, and growing a great team? The first thing is you got to have a leader. A team needs a leader, and that leader has to model the, the way. And I know that sounds very, very simple and very overstated, almost trite. But if the leader can't be, first of all, vulnerable, if the leader can't be humble and vulnerable enough to say, I know what my strengths are, I know what my weaknesses are, I will be the first one to admit when I make a mistake, and I will acknowledge when somebody has a better idea than I do. If a leader can't be vulnerable, then they are not going to engender trust, because trust is the most important thing any leader has to do to build a team. They have to get the human beings on that team to trust one another, to be completely vulnerable or buck naked, as I say, about who they are. And if you can't build trust on your team, vulnerability-based trust, you're not going to be able to do the next thing. And these are the first two and most important things. And that is you have to engender really good conflict. If people aren't feeling comfortable debating, arguing, disagreeing, there's no way that team is going to perform. But trust, vulnerability-based trust enables conflict. Because when you know that people are completely open and honest with you on a team, then there's no danger in disagreeing because you know that's going to be the pursuit of truth or the best possible answer. Far too many teams avoid conflict thinking there's something wrong with it, but they do that because they don't really trust one another. So I think the most important thing a leader can do to build a great team is to build trust by first demonstrating vulnerability and then inspiring everybody else on the team to do the same. And then teaching them that conflict is not only okay, it's necessary and good. I agree. And there's so much research that backs it up as well. I know. With the workplace becoming increasingly automated and where mental health issues are widespread, what is a leader's role and responsibility as we start a whole new decade? Years ago, I wrote a book that was a little off topic for me. I mean, it's not completely. And it was inspired by my dad, who when I was a kid, I knew that he was frustrated at work. And even as a little kid, I thought, that's a bummer. So years later, 30 years later, I wrote a book called um, the, it was originally titled The Three Signs of a Miserable Job. And then we retitled it The Truth About Employee Engagement because people said they couldn't take a book to work that said miserable job on it. But what it talks about is the, the three things that people need in order to love their work and to feel fulfilled in it. And, and this is what combats me, um, mental issues and frustration and depression, anxiety, and it changes the culture of an organization. And that is people want to be known by their leaders. So as people are more stressed and automation comes, the people that do work for you get to know them. Human beings need to be known. They want to know that you're interested in who they are as a human being. And far too many managers think it's just, well, it's not important. They don't care. All human beings do. They need to be known. If you're not known, you could have the sexiest, most well-paying job in the world. And if you don't feel like your manager knows who you are, you're not going to be happy. We've seen that again and again and again. The second thing is help them understand and remind them constantly about why their job matters and about who benefits from when they do a good job. People need to know that their job is relevant. And when people lose sight of that, when they're like, I don't think anybody really cares if I do good work. I don't think this, my work matters to anybody or it changes anybody's life in some way. They, they, they're going to struggle and their, their morale is going to go down. The third thing is give them some means of assessing their own success, of measuring whether they're doing a good job. It's not always a metric, but everybody needs to know at the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the month if they are doing a good job and they can't rely on just their boss to come by and say, pat them on the back and say, I think you're doing a good job. So if you can get to know your people, remind them that their job is important and help them understand whose life it makes better, 
and give them some way of measuring or assessing that, they are going to go home at night a better human being. They're going to treat their family, their neighbors, their spouse, their kids better. They're also going to come back to work with a greater sense of hope. No matter how much you pay them or how many benefits you give them or how much training you give them, if they are an unknown or feel anonymous, if they don't know why their work matters and they don't know if they're doing a good job, they're not going to be happy. And that leads to really serious psychological and interpersonal problems. And what's your best piece of career advice? Go to work in an area where you're, you have some passion, but don't expect to do what your ultimate job right away. Love what you're doing in the moment and do it really well. Be humble and don't call attention to yourself. Just work really hard and be good with other human beings and good things will happen. So don't go into a field you don't like. Don't do that. But also don't think you have to go have the perfect job right away. Find a general area that you find you're passionate about and be, just be a selfless, hardworking, and emotionally intelligent person and good things will happen. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, Patrick. To follow his journey, you can read his book, The Motive, listen to his At The Table podcast, and find him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where he shares his leadership advice, live streams, live appearances, and announcements. We hope you enjoyed today's show and the amazing advice our guests provided. Remember that you can only benefit from advice if you act on it. Before you do, we would appreciate your feedback in the form of a review. You can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or a podcatcher of your choice. Your feedback would be very much appreciated. Head over to danshawbell.com slash review now.